Welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Today's episode is episode 86, and we have one of the coaches from Povel, Atlanta, Matt Barry, joining us. We talk about a bunch of topics. We talk about reopening as a pole vaulting club through the coronavirus pandemic, and we talk about the differences throughout the whole country, depending on what region you're in, what type of club you have, indoor and indoor or outdoor club. And we also discuss uh, being educators as pole vault coaches and how important that is. Uh, if you have any comments or questions uh, about the episode or any other episodes, please email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to us on YouTube or you can subscribe to Apex Vaulting Podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and leave a comment or review us. That would be awesome. We'd really appreciate that. Also, you can follow us at The Real Apex Vaulting on Instagram and Apex Vaulting on Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, and Twitter. Uh, Enjoy the episode, everyone. All right, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Um, Super excited about today's uh, episode. I know a lot of things are going on. Uh, There's probably public coaches out there wondering, you know, will they be able to go back to practice? Are we going to be able to open up? A lot of different situations going out there, and and there's a bunch of topics that I want to go over. Um, We have Matt Berry from PV Atlanta with us today. I'm so grateful uh, for him to come on, and I'm going to let him introduce himself, but I, I kind of just spoke to Matt. I, I kind of had this thought. I, I just finished my morning, morning workout, and one of the things that I feel like not enough coaches, not enough athletes understand, like, you know, let's say most people are not going to end up becoming Olympic athletes, but even at that level, if you want to be a championship caliber type of athlete, one of the things enough people don't talk about is, you know, pushing the limits. How do you build physical and mental toughness? You know, I think some people don't understand the idea of, you know, we add stress to the equation mentally and physically, because if you add the right amount of stress, you adapt and you become stronger. Too much stress, you crumble. Not enough stress, there's no changes and you'll get worse. But I feel like that's an idea. And and Matt, I'd love to hear your perspective, because being that you're an educator too, and also a pole vault coach, you know, I feel like people forget that's the whole point of training. We're trying to push an individual's limits and I know for me, one of the things that I've always been super proud of is, you know, and sometimes, you know, you have athletes fighting you, kicking and screaming about this, but it's like you, you get them to push the limits and they are better prepared for life in the future. And especially during this point of coronavirus, I feel like people who have never pushed their limits, they're probably really struggling during this time period where a lot of things are taken away from them and they have huge obstacles ahead of them. Absolutely. I mean, so I'm Matt Barry. I'm the head assistant coach at Pole Vault Atlanta down here in obviously Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we come from a club of, of between 60 and 70 kids on the club team. We work with um, well over 200 athletes a year um, mm-hmm. from a practice basis. Um, head, head coach is Hal Fairbanks. He's an educator. He was an athletic director and educator for more than 30 years. Uh, I'm in education. This is my 15th year in education, teaching and coaching. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, the, the way we set our system up and the way we set everything up is through the educational lens. When you come to practice, it's a class. So it's right. basically a classroom. There's class etiquette. There are rules. There are expectations. And so go, going, you know, when you attend practice, you're, you're in class. I mean, that's really right. what it is. It's not a you're showing up, you're just working out, and then you're leaving, it's, okay, there are lessons to everything you have to do. You have to understand why X leads to Y, why Y leads to Z, and, mm-hmm. and where the mistakes are made along the way. Um, I do think that the kids that are 
the kids that have been challenged the least where things have come very easy to them are the ones that are struggling the most. And especially right right now, the kids that have the kids that are getting good. Mm -hmm. And I mean like our, whatever you want to define your elite athlete is the elites are the ones that are feeling the most pressure and are the most stressed out and are struggling to cope with this the most. Yeah, and just, I, I don't, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to bring up for people that are not familiar with your club. I mean, I, I don't remember exactly what year, but gosh, it was probably close to like eight years ago. I remember seeing you guys at high school nationals a lot. I mean, you guys always have a huge crew. Um, you guys do a phenomenal job. Um, there's even obviously some things that I want to talk later in the podcast about technique wise and stuff like that and, and what you guys think brings you so much success. But I think you bring up a, a great point. The people who have success early on and they're, they're kind of getting it very easily, yeah, they, they are going to struggle during this time. And I think even being a, a more top-tier athlete at this, at this point going into coronavirus where maybe you're expecting to go to high school nationals, you're trying to get a scholarship, you might be struggling with the mental side of it right now. It's like, oh, my God, what, what am I going to do? You know, what, what, what do you say to your athletes in that position? That's awesome. So, so my phone's been ringing off the hook ever since we, ever since this happened, like how coach and I were on the way to the airport Mm -hmm. for New Balance with seven kids, three pole bags. We were literally going to the Atlanta airport to go up to New Balance. And when we saw everything was canceling, like we realized, okay, this is a lot bigger than simply a weekend's going to be missed. Like we know we're going to be missing more than this weekend. Right. From that point on, our, our seniors pretty much thought about it from the sense, okay, this is just a temporary delay in our senior season. This is unfortunate. We're going to lose a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Our juniors were thinking, oh, this was kind of like, all right, I thought I was going to be getting some competition, some more practice to get right. those marks to start getting the looks at from the colleges. Mm-hmm. And these are, again, more of our elite athletes. And then the sophomores and freshmen – they're affected, but not as much because they're still very young. Some of them are still trying to grasp the concept of, am I going to take this to the next level beyond a varsity high school um, right. um, perspective? And then eighth graders, I, you know, I'm going to toot our horn a little bit. You know, I had an 11, six, eighth grade boy and a 10, six, eighth grade girl and a 10 foot girl on the way. Mm-hmm. And they were ready to just dominate their yeah. eighth grade seasons. And this, right. this was in, in January, they had these marks going into the season. And so like, how do you approach a child who's developing mentally to Mm -hmm. understand that this is a small window in time and you're still going to have four years of high school. Right. So we've had to approach this a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, I think the hardest group of kids that we've had to address this with, honestly, it's the juniors Mm -hmm. because our juniors are the ones um, that are taking it the hardest and they're actually the ones who are going out and sort of training on their own in places they probably shouldn't, but we don't know about it. And we right. find out later. Yeah. Um, they're the ones who are thinking, oh, man, but how am I going to get colleges to look at me if I don't have the marks? Right. And my best mark was of October of my junior year. And I never even got a senior, uh, uh, sorry, a junior year spring season to right. get that mark. Mm-hmm. So reeling the kids in and saying, you're not the only one affected by this. Every, every single kid across the country is affected by this. There isn't a single club. There isn't a single coach. There isn't a single athlete that is um, an exception to this. Right. And if, and if you have 
Yeah, over, I mean, it, so again, sorry to interrupt you, but no, please yeah, interrupt all you want. Yeah, I mean, e- even for those kids who are like, well, I know so and so is practicing in a backyard right now or something. They're still not going to competition. They're still not going to be going to a state meet or a national meet. Like again, like you said, you're in the same boat. The other thing too, and I know during this time period, a lot of people are talking about you know being able to adapt or pivot. And one of the things that I feel like very strongly about our sport. I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of people have sold our sport in this fashion. They go, hey, mom and dad, um, your son or daughter can get a scholarship if they pull bowl. And I think that's always been such a fallacy and it's such a bad way to promote our sport because, one, you and I both know. I mean, we've been doing this long enough. Most kids are not going to get a scholarship. Maybe some kids will even be lucky. It'll get them a foot in the door at a college. But by and large, if our sport was as popular as we would like it to be, most people are not going to get a scholarship. There's just not that many, that, that many scholarship opportunities. I think the way that people need to start really presenting our sport is that this is what I truly believe a great total body workout. It's also mentally challenging, not just physically challenging. And it's something that you could do for years and years and years. And we need to, we need to start to think about promoting it in that fashion and promoting it as like a lifelong sport that you can enjoy for many, many years. I see us more on par. And I I know I always bring this up, but we're more like a martial arts. There is the skill part that you have to master while you are also mastering your body, you know, and and, and you have to balance both of those, which again, I think those are lifelong lessons, you know, healthy mind, healthy body that that works in conjunction. And I think if we can start to promote our sport more in that fashion, we'll be way better off, you know? Yeah. I think we've, um, I think we, and I speak, I, I cannot speak on behalf of every club coach and yeah. every track a- athlete or event, but mm-hmm. I do think that we at some point think to ourselves, how can we get these children an academic athletic opportunity mm-hmm. in high school to be successful that may set them up for the next level right. to give them the ability? Is that going to happen for all these kids? Absolutely not. It's not the way it's going to be. Right. Sorry. But right. what you're, but like what you just said and what I firmly believe is, if you're going to commit to a club sport, you have to have time management. You have to have dedication. You have to understand what failure is going to be like, and you have to understand how to be resilient to failure. You then have to be able to goal set. You then have to create work ethic. We're teaching. These are lifelong skills that you apply in the work environment. And it just happens to be that the sport we coach is the most technical sport of track and field. And it takes a lot of, it takes, it takes time. It, it's you don't become good at the pole vault overnight. You don't become right. a state champion in a month. It, I mean, no. if you do, that's great, but um, it's not that way. And so, if what I think we are seeing in a trend from USA Track and Fields messages of things being canceled and postponed mm-hmm. from NSAF, from GHSA, which is Georgia High School, mm-hmm. um, the, our governing body. And um, even from just like all comer track from our local Atlanta track club and stuff is that Atlanta track club is sending a great message. We're, we're not just trying to promote racing so you can get a time. We're trying to promote the healthy lifestyle of athletics and you can still run on your own. And I think we're seeing some, I think what we're seeing is some pretty fun, I guess, virtual competitions with some kids who are doing this mile challenge Mm -hmm. and some other kids out there. And we see the pole vault challenges by, um, by Mondo and Sam and, and uh, Renal and um, Katie Najat, who's here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and Katarina Stefandini and Newman. I mean, we see that they're promoting the sport, 
Yeah. And that's what we should be promoting. But, you know, not every kid has a pole vault pit in their backyard. Right. We, we have kids that uh, – we have a kid in terms of talking about dedication. We have a kid who drives two hours one way, and he, right. I, he doesn't miss practice. It just doesn't right. happen. Yeah. And he's one who's gone from 11.6 to 14 uh, – sorry, from 11.6 to 15.4 in a matter of a couple months. Yeah. And he's a junior. And so he's yeah. thinking yeah. to himself, how am I going to – how am I getting this for the next level? Again, what we also need to do is we need to teach patience and we need to teach more of the lesson of, again, everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's facing the same struggles. So, yeah, we need to think more along the lines of this is an outlet too. It's not just the make all be all that you're going to get into college and do this. Would you like to? Yes. And there are many paths to doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also, we absolutely need to promote that this is supposed to be a healthy athletic outlet that can teach you many life skills, athletic and personal and right. professional. Right. So, you know, the, the kids who drive an hour and a half, um, who come to practice versus the kids who, um, sit at home and they literally like build whatever pull up our systems they have in their backyard. Yeah. yeah. You know, it teaches them those are important, valuable lessons. No, I, I think, you know, it's funny just thinking about what you're saying and, and building stuff in your backyard and stuff. I, I think that the kids that go to a pole vaulting club a lot of times, because they have to be so dedicated, and like you said, you have people that are driving two hours to practice. Those are the people right now that are figuring something out with what they have. You know, they're figuring out what they can do at home. You know, um, I know even for us, like we put out a, a workout video like that first week that things closed down uh, because of coronavirus to give people some ideas. But it's amazing when I get videos or texts from athletes now who have like used that as a springboard and then and built off of that. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that, that I was thinking about when you were saying like, I, I think every pole vault club, we, we've all had someone that's driven two hours to, to come to club. My dream is one day that we're popular enough that that doesn't happen anymore, that nobody has to drive two hours to go to practice. Um, one of the things that we talked about before we even started the podcast, um, can you talk more about, one, your education background and how you think that helps you? And then you talked about the head coach also, who is an athletic director, how that helps you guys as coaches, um, you know, that you have that education background, you know? Yeah. So um, I, I love that question, especially because I love being an educator. I, I think of myself as a teacher, then a coach. So I just think the coaching is a blessing. Um, we firmly operate. I firmly operate is every practice. There's a lesson plan. Here's what we've got written on the whiteboard. We've got our three tracks. We've got our beginner, intermediate, elite tracks. We've got the uh, we've got the principles of these are the drills you do every single day. You do your 20-20 step drills. You do your goose steps. You do your jump hits. You do your walking plant drills. Mm-hmm. You do those. That it's, it's the same concept as thinking about it in the classroom is we always have to go over the directions, whether you think right. you know or not, because you never know when a word is going to change. Children have been going over directions for reading and writing and for arithmetic. They've been going over directions with educators since the moment they entered school. Right. And as you've gotten older, the language of the directions have changed. The right. words have changed. The directions become harder. Sometimes the directions include multifaceted thinking. Mm-hmm. And so that's the same thing in athletics. Just because, just because you go to practice every single day, that doesn't necessarily mean you go through the motions. That's one of the things that I hate about saying it practices. If you go through the motions, then you're going to get go through the motion results. 
It's, right. it's the athletes that are going to say, okay, um, I want to be the best at the 2020s. I want to do it perfect. My plant, I want it to be the best. So I'm going to practice this drill. My run, I'm going to practice this drill and master it. And I, I always use the example from an athletic perspective is LeBron James didn't come out of the womb and dunk. Right. He practiced layups. The kid, I'm sure, missed easy layups in games when he was younger. Right. And they, I'm pretty sure NBA athletes still do layup lines before games. Yeah. LeBron James is not doing a layup before a game because he's like, I got to remember how to do a layup. No, it's muscle memory and it's warm-up routine. And it's right. routine that provides that, that the below-the-tip iceberg. We see him dunk, but what we don't – and we also see him warm up, but we've got to think about preparation going to the arena, preparation when he wakes up in the morning, preparation at breakfast time. That goes back to then sleep habits, which then – I mean, it goes – it's a long it's a long train here. It's not one thing. Right. And from an educator perspective is, all right, guys, you will be successful at some point. You will fail more than you're going to be successful at one period of time. That period of time could be weeks. It could be months. It could be just days, but that's expected. And so you have to lay it out. And we try to lay it out that we all have certain phrases and sayings that we live by. And those are what we call our directions as an educator, that that's what we live by. And that's what we believe in. Yeah, I, I, I think process and procedure is so important. Um, I, I know, again, we were talking about this before the podcast started, but I think a lot of people who sometimes, uh, you know, start coaching when they don't have an education background, you know, they want to get to the meat of the sport, right? Like, let's get jumping, you know, but you have to have that process and procedure. And I always tell people, going back to what you said, if you just go through the motions of those uh, beginning steps of practice, like I always tell people like, okay, you're doing a planting drill. You're just doing pole drops. If you fall asleep during that time, you didn't get any better. There has to be a purpose to that, you know, and even more so the way you did pole drops day one of your, your first pole vaulting practice to year five. So different. There's so many layers to even the basic drills where it's like, okay, as a beginner, you've mastered the planting drill. Well, now you have to master it in that intermediate level, then expert, right? It's like you have to keep building off of, off of these. You don't just one day, you know, it's I'm, I'm, I'm at day 10 at PV Atlanta, and I'm like, okay, I mastered these drills. I don't have to do them. No, there's always a refinement. Right. I think we also have to consider this too is like a child who masters the drill in ninth grade physically and physiologically grows older and develops and changes between right. ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. So you look at a kid, uh, we, we've got a girl, she's a 13-7 jumper. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's a stud. I mean, she, physically right now as a junior in high school, she's a monster. And I say yeah. it in a good way, not like, ah, oh, she's a oh, monster. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a little pixie stick in seventh grade. So, right. yeah, she probably, had, she, when she was doing her plant drills in seventh grade, mentally she was thinking about it differently and physically she was doing it differently than yeah. the way she is now. Right we class is it's a different level now so you can't go again going through the motions and just being okay at being marginal or being okay with being good why would you want to settle for just being good when you can emulate the best um i'm gonna i'm gonna piggyback off that with this example one of the things our kids they got to go to the sand pit 
That's the way it is. It's yeah. the law. It's mm-hmm. the way our class is set up. Right. Well, I don't want to go to sin. Then when I show you the video of beginner to Bubka, yeah. and you see Yelena Zimbayova holding on to a 14-foot pole or a 15-foot pole, actually be a 14 or 14-7, and she's four-step bracing in the sand pit with right. at least a 13-foot grip. Right. I'm sorry. If she's doing that, we're trying to emulate that. Right. She is not above going to the sand pit. She is not above doing her 2020 and jump drills. Right. Neither are you. No one is. Right. I, I, I don't know if you ever heard of a West Side Barbell. They're a, a, a powerlifting gym in Ohio. Okay. But one of the things they always talk about at that gym, they, they have so many talented powerlifters. Power I think uh, Louis Simmons coached more thousand pound squatters than any other person on the planet. And one of the things they always say is like, well, okay, so let's say you come in there and you're a 700 pound squatter and Matt, you're an 800 pound squatter. I want to be an 800 pound squatter. Well, I look at what you do with other exercises that aren't the squat. So if you like can leg press X number of pounds, or if you can hamstring curl X number of pounds, whatever, I have to do that too. So like you said, it's like, oh, you want to jump as high as Yelena Zimbaeva? Well, then you need to do what she does in the sand pit. You know, there are other, it's not just that 16, seven jump that just magically happens. There are other exercises, drills, processes, and procedures that you have to emulate. I mean, I, I remember one time I had, um, I had a 12, four girl in division three, she was a national qualifier. And I remember one of the things that she one time told me, she was kind of complaining about other athletes and she's like, well, you know, she's like, God damn, if you want to be an elite vaulter, you should at least try to look like one. You know, and I, and I laugh. I'm like, well, if it, looks good, it is to, good. Yeah. It's, there's something to that. Right. It's like, you have to train that way. You have to make your body at become that level, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I also think, um, in terms of the way approaching practice from the education standpoint is the, the word, I think we don't like to use in athletics, but it's important is discipline. Yeah. And discipline doesn't always have to be negative. Right. Um, learning a discipline is something important. Knowing when is the right time to disagree vocally versus privately, you know, publicly versus privately. Right. And also, you know, you run through five times. Are you going to throw the pole? Are you going to throw the pole down? Are you going to snap something? You're going to, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? Or are you going to say, hold on. All right, coach or whomever, this is not working. Okay. Since you first, you've recognized the problem. Now we need to solve it. Now we need to find all the different variables. Why were you, why do you feel like you were running through? Right. Well, how high are you holding? Where are you running from? Are you wearing spikes in your flats? What'd you eat today? Do, like, I mean, small, the smallest things is your energy level up or down. Yeah. Are you, are you up to like already like 35 jumps in a practice session and maybe it's time to shut it down, you know? Right. The variables are infinite in the pole vault and we are blessed that we can see world records broken all the time. And yeah, you know, but one, one of the things we don't see is, um, like, I, I guess I'll use Mondo as the example because he's just so beloved by everyone and yeah. as should be. We've seen all the YouTube videos of him being a prodigy, uh, of being a phenom. Right. I want to see all the videos of his run-throughs, of his horrible practices, of the no heights, yeah. of the blowing through a pole and knocking the bar on the way up. Like, where are all those? They're not out there because we don't want to glorify and highlight that. Not yeah. because we don't want to show our faults, but because 
Well, we don't want to emulate that. Right. And so, but it doesn't mean it's going away. It doesn't mean it's not there. You know, it's, it doesn't mean that he has not failed before. So we need to also understand that we're also looking at we're and we as coaches are doing this right now is we're looking at competitions and we're looking at practices and we're looking what other kids are doing through this rose colored glass lens yeah. that, Oh man, this kid just jumped 14, six down there in whateverville at practice. Okay. How many jumps did it take for them to do that? Right. We didn't see that part. I'm not neglecting that the 14, six happened. Good job. Applause. Right. What did it take to get there? Right. That's what I'm trying to under. That's what I want our kids to understand this. Well, I, I know even, I, I guess this is a good segue. What even, you know, I DM'd you, hey, would you like to do the podcast? You commented on the one post I made about the last dance with Michael Jordan, you know, and I think what I really liked about that, that kind of documentary series was they weren't just showing all the best parts of Michael Jordan. They were showing the, the tough times, the injuries, practices, you know, how he sometimes maybe even handled practice poorly and how he bounced back from that. Like I even like the one, the one part about him, you know, punching Steve Kerr at practice. And I know a lot of people kind of like look at that and say like, Oh, see, Michael Jordan's terrible. But here's the thing. Yes. He acted poorly, but he saw that he spoke to his coach, apologized to the coach, and then also called his teammate and apologized to his teammate. He tried to mend that. And I think that's the thing that I saw is so important is like we did see the highs and lows just in that one little moment with Michael Jordan. And we don't often get to see that in the pole vault. And I, I don't know why, but it seems like in the track world, we, we never want to talk about the negatives. We only talk about the positives, but then we're not really seeing the truth, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of like this too, is um, we, we don't separate our kids. Um, we, we have different, um, groups, like, mm-hmm. I guess you want to call them like, you know, your beginner intermediate elite. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all practice at the same time. And there is very big reason for this. Mm-hmm. We had a boy, he was, uh, he was a knucklehead, but we loved him. He was a, um, he was our, he's got our club record, 16, six and a half. Okay. Uh, the year before he was a 15 niner. He, uh, the year before he jumped 15 something. And then, but it, the first year he was there, it was like a 12 foot vaulter at best. Right. And it was the concept of emulate the best. And it was pull out the DVD player, watch the beginner to Bubka video. These are the drills they're doing. He becomes better. He becomes our best vaulter. What he doesn't realize is that other kids that are on the runway and on the other two pits look at him and go, I want to be like that. I want to jump that high. I want to get that good. What do I have to do? He's watching that video with coach. Do I need to watch that video with coach? He's doing this drill and he does it this way. Do I need to fix that? So um, one of the things that I think we, uh, in the pole vault especially, if, if you're at practice and you're there and you simply socialize before and after your jumps and then you get on the runway and jump and then you're done and you socialize again, if you're doing that, you have lost practice. Yeah. If you're the athlete at practice who takes a jump and then – seeks out instruction or guidance or says, did you catch my mid mark? Or mm-hmm. did you see, um, did you uh, see where I took off from? Or, you know, did I, I um, coach, what did you think about that jump? And then you watch three other kids jump as well. Right. You're actually taking more from practice than your teammates who are there socializing in between jumps. And there are kids on the team. They don't, they understand this. They watch every little thing. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, you were on the, I'm on the 14, 125 and I'm holding it 12, seven. How is that the 30? Yeah, that's a 30. How stiff is the 30 versus the 25? Right. I mean, well, right then and there, you've asked to, you tried to better yourself as an athlete. No, a hundred percent. And I think something that, and look, I mean, you tell me what you think, but I think in education sometimes and track, we sometimes look down at competition. We don't want to compete, you know, let's be really nice and friendly and, you know, but I think competition is huge. I mean, at my club, we have a leaderboard of all our records, lifting, pole vault records, and it's not just PR. We put a push re- record, class record, and, and then a lot of times, you know, when the kids are, uh, we do a little bit of like active stretching for like about five minutes, and that's where I like to do uh, sometimes stuff like this. I'd be like, hey, 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 Tommy, did you hear about what Steve did last practice? He wrapped this bungee. Or Sally, did, did you hear about Jen? Jen just squatted such and such. And I'm, I'm actively doing this because I'm letting them know like, hey, you know that kid that you thought maybe was far away from your level? They're catching up, you know? And competition is a driver because you have to realize in life, the minute you go to sleep, and, and again, I, I love this as a life lesson. If you think that you get a job, you get a promotion, and now you can just kick back and relax, you're going to lose that promotion. Someone else is going to get pushed up. You might get fired. I mean, you even see it in relationships. I see it all the time. You know, people get together and then they fall asleep, you know, instead of, you know, working on the relationship or even during this time of coronavirus, I'm sure you're hearing about this. I know I'm helping, you know, my brother and sister-in-law with my nephews, you know, they don't know what it's like to teach little kids, you know, and it's like, this has to be fostered and worked on every single day, you know, and that's why I like competition because life is competitive, you know, every single day. And it's like, how are you going to handle that competition? Are, yeah. are you going to get scared? Are you going to run away from competition? Are you going to get upset? Or are you going to start to strategize and go, okay, what's my next move? What can I do better? Maybe like you said, maybe I'm socializing too much at practice. I'm not focusing, you know, or maybe I've been lackadaisical about workouts, you know, or, or, and I, I, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. We all love the drills that we're good at, right? Absolutely. I love doing yeah. the drill where after I take the jump, Coach Matt is like, Bronco, awesome. Everybody like Bronco. But as soon as you change the drill to the one that I hate, I'm like, ah, oh, forget this. That's how you find out how good or bad you are at the sport. When you figure out the drill you're the worst at, and then you're the worst one at it, and you have to get better. Yeah. Our, our push-off drill is kind of like our favorite drill com- competition-wise between the kids. Yeah. Because some kids are really good at it, but they're not, they don't get in the position in their jumps yet at the push off. Mm-hmm. And then some of our kids are really, really good vaulters and they are horrible at the push off drill. Yeah. We have a 15 foot, uh, 15 when, when you foot say push off drill, can you describe it for a second? So, so people, so, yeah. So imagine, uh, so think about stairs. Mm-hmm. So stairs. Okay. Now we've got, it's, it's a set of two stairs, a lower one and a higher one. And it's a, it's, you run up to the, you run up to the box. It's, um, you're looking at about 20 inches by 15 inches, 20 inches in depth. Okay. And it's about two and a half feet tall. Okay. And it's just two steps. And what the kids have to do is they, they run up and they have to push off with one hand and then they push and they leave with their top hand. Okay. So it's not just a round off drill. And, and if you think about it, gymnasts and cheerleaders are the worst at this when they start because mm-hmm. they're used to doing, 
round offs one direction and pushing off with their bottom hand, not their top hand in the pole vault. Mm-hmm. So the gymnasts, like some of them are, are really good because they have that awareness of their body, but it's the complete opposite push off. Right. And so what the kids do, we have a, we have a crossbar set and it's at a height and they have to push off and go over the crossbar mm-hmm. with the, you know, get rid of the bottom hand, bring it to the chest and get rid of the top hand. And yeah. some of the kids are good at getting their legs straight. Some kids, their legs are all over the place. Some of them go over sideways. Right. I, it'd be, it'd blow your mind to see some of the stuff they do. Mm-hmm. We have a 16 foot junior and mm-hmm. he's horrible at the push off drill, mm-hmm. but he can, but he only, he made 16, two gripping at 13, nine. Wow. So awesome. His push off is good, mm-hmm. but the push off drill is not his strong drill. It right. helps that he's a monster football player and he's super strong yeah. and he's, you know, a really good athlete. He can muscle that. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but, but in the technical sense, there's still a lot that needs to be there. So mm-hmm. Um, you know, using the drills that you're the worst at, that's important. And we, our jump to stomach drill is one of the most important drills we teach. Mm-hmm. And the kids, why, I don't understand why. And we're, we're pretty anti pop-up drill, you mm-hmm. know, where you just pop up and you stay in that position, you flop. Right, right, right. So we teach you jump and you swing and you land on your stomach. Why the jump to your stomach as opposed to the pop-up? Well, in the jump to stomach, you're emulating more of the pole vault than you do in the pop-up. Mm-hmm. that you have to do more in the turn to your stomach drill than you do in the pop-up. And so the more, the more you learn in that drill, the better of a drill we believe it is. I, I agree. I, now we're delving into technique, um, yeah. which is fine. Uh, I, I agree with you that that pop-up or invert drill that people do. It's, it's very easy if you're not careful watching for it to be done wrong, but still be good job. You know, because you can kind of just push lean back and force the invert, especially if your grip is very low. Um, And so you're not very active. You know what I mean? You're just leaning back to get that invert. Whereas like you said, that swing swing to your stomach, you know, we call it swing to the belly. But like, yeah, you're active through the whole time and you really have to push off. Like I even talk about certain marks on the mats. Like if you land here, you know what I mean? that, that kind of should equate roughly to this kind of jump. If you land here, it could equate to that kind of jump if you fix everything else down the runway. But right. it's like, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, in terms of the, the technical aspect of it, I mean, look, how many drills are there in the pole vault? There's, I, I, you go on Instagram and you just follow every pole vault club out there. Mm-hmm. Every single person is doing something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. That, there's not a problem with that yeah. I don't think there's a problem with that mm-hmm. it's just we're all doing something a little bit different trying to achieve the same somewhat result yeah. and so we all have different methods to the madness and how we teach yeah. it so it's kind of too like we um we had a I guess a confrontation with this with a coach at one point about the pop-up drill mm-hmm. and um they said well Sergey Buka does the pop-up drill I said okay well yeah what was he trying to do was he trying to get in that position or was he trying to get his step? Or was he trying to get his left hand in a place or a position? Was he right. trying to get his legs? What was he trying to do? We don't, yeah. if, if it's not what you do, it's what you're trying to do. Right. Yeah. Because I, I, I do a lot of things as a coach, but am I trying to do them all, all the time? Right. Not necessarily. It's what you're trying to do that's important. That's what we believe. Well, and, and I think a lot of times what's, uh, what's difficult is, when you try to just emulate, and, and again, I think in Pobalt, we do this a lot. We look at a still frame picture and we're like, oh, I need that. That's what I want to do. 
But who knows? You might go up to the athlete that's in that picture and go, hey, Sergey, is this the position I should hit? And he might be like, oh, actually, that was the bad part. I didn't want to do that. That was a mistake in the drill. So you don't know without discussing it with the person who was doing it. If it. So if you just try to chase a certain picture, that might not even be a desirable picture to the person who was doing it. The right. other thing, and I, I think about this a lot, and, and again, putting your educator hat on, let me know what you think about this. Um, there's a strength and conditioning coach in the New England area, and he talks about coaching in the terms of like cooking. You have a cook, a sous chef, and a chef, right? The cook has to follow recipes to the T, they can't make any adjustments and they take orders from the sous chef. The sous chef has been a cook long enough that they can make alterations to a recipe. They know if they add a little bit of salt, a little bit more salt here, or they take a little flour out or whatever, they can mess with the recipe somewhat if they don't have the right ingredients and still get a good meal, right? But they take orders from the chef. The chef has been around so long that they now create recipes, right? They create the menu, right? Yep. And, and this is what I think. I think sometimes when you start out as a coach, you jump into that sous chef section too early and you start doing a la carte. Like, ooh, I like the drill from PV Atlanta. I'm going to take that drill. Ooh, I like the drill from Earl Bell. I'm going to take that drill. Oh, I saw Apex put this. I'm going to take – well, you just a la carte stuff that – you might be mixing like whipped cream with steak. Like that, this is going right. to taste horrible. And I think first you have to follow recipes to the T before you start making adjustments. What do you, what do you think about that? Absolutely. We have a system. Uh, you have to teach with a system, education, coaching. You have to have a system in place and you have to stick by your system. You have to be firm in your beliefs with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that, that goes with everything, how the kids conduct themselves at practice, what they are allowed to wear and not wear at practice. Mm-hmm. language that's allowed and not allowed to practice sure. yeah. um, drills that are done and not done at practice everything I mean you can the list goes on but you have to have a system how are you going to teach the run how are you going to teach the plant how are you going to teach your uh, apparatus drills you know basically everything that's not on the runway apparatus yeah those drills how's your system in place now why is your system that way right. what are you basing your system off of okay right. what results are you trying to get from that system so it, it all has to come from that. Now, I will fully and openly admit I am not the same coach. I, again, I've been doing this for 15 years now as a coach, and uh, I've been with Hal at Pole Vault Atlanta. This will be my ninth year. Mm-hmm. We, I do not and we do not coach the same way we did nine years ago when we worked together. 100%. The system is somewhat the same, but we have modified and made changes and found out what's worked more, what hasn't and introduce things, and then those things have become permanent, and then got rid of things that we felt like were now elementary, or we can move past this or teach this in a different way. Right. And that's, that's the concept of if you're coaching out there, you've got to have a system that you can fall back on, on a sheet of paper or something that says, this is what we're doing and why, and these are the things we're trying to achieve in it, and these are the expectations. But yeah, the a la carte system thing, like, Uh, Sam Kendricks is a great example. And uh, I I mean, he's the American record holder. Mm -hmm. He's on 490 poles, right? I mean, he's not, he's, he's on 490s. He's the American record holder. He's got like a four foot push off. Okay. What I think a lot of us are thinking about when we think of him is God, his push off is insane. But if we ever thought about why he starts the run the way he starts it, 
Is that taught? Is that allowed? Is that a comfort thing? Is that simply a rhythm thing? I'm not knocking it. Please don't think that, well, I don't want anyone else to be like, that coach from Atlanta, he's just knocking on everyone. I'm actually not, I don't don't think in that critical lens like that too often. Mm -hmm. I actually look at everything that every other coach does and every athlete does, and I honestly think, what are they trying to do? Was that taught? Is that something natural to them or is that something that they just is it a comfort thing or is it something that's overlooked and they don't even know it right you know uh those are i mean those are massive things in the pole vault when we go to new balance and jo's Mm -hmm. and high school meets i I mean i don't really watch a lot of other kids when they're jumping per se from a technical aspect but i look to see like okay what, what does it look like? What do I think they're trying to do? Oh, what pole is that? What's the grip? Where are they running from? How many lefts? They got a mid-mark? No, they catch and take off or mid-mark? Is someone standing over there? They have someone – like, you have so many variables right there. Right. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, in a good way, it's crazy. Yeah. But um, absolutely, it's the system standpoint that you have to have it. And um, if I had to offer any advice to the younger coaches or the newer coaches or the club coaches that – are maybe trying to find out a system is that look at the people who are beating you and then find out how are they beating you? What are they doing? That's beating you. And there is nothing wrong. Uh, there is nothing wrong with asking someone else, Hey man, what are you doing? I mean, what's yeah. going on? Tim Riley is the yeah. epitome of the example. Tim Riley's always had very good pole vaulters. Mm-hmm. It has been of more recent. His girls are just dominating the pole vault. Right. Okay, Tim, what's going on? What are you doing? Right. How, what do you get? And he explains a lot of this stuff. He doesn't. Well, I, I, there's I, no I love, Yeah, <laughs> I loved his YouTube live session that he did because yeah. out of all of them, I was like, wow, this guy has his process and his system down pat. And, yeah. and, and again, to, to reiterate, I, I guess what I was trying to say too is like, if you're a beginner coach, you can't just take one of his processes or procedures or drills and then mix it with someone someone else's. Like you brought up Sam Kendricks. It's like you can't just take his push off and add someone else's carry. Maybe there's a reason, like you said, for all of that to fall in place and allow him to have that push off. We, we may not know. I mean, like I'm not standing next to them when they're training. I have no idea, you know? And right. I'll tell you as a young coach, something that I – you know, I feel like I coached at a, at a started coaching at a great time because when I started out literally that first year, I remember going to like Kinko's FedEx and literally just printing out everything from the internet and making my own spiral wrap books. I'm not leaving. I'm listening. <laughs> no, 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 no worries. And I remember like going through the books and I'm like, oh my God, I kind of, ha- I felt like I had to cherry pick drills, but yet then beginner to Bupka came out and Exactly. I mean, it's the Bible, right? We've been given the word of God himself, (laughs) Alan Launder and, and Bubka and, and Petrov. It's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, and going back to the cooking analogy, once I got beginner to Bubka, it was like, I tried out one of his recipes. I'm like, wow, that worked. I try out another recipe. I'm like, that worked too. I'm like, I'm just going to do the whole cookbook now. I, and the thing is, the more I followed the, that book and that system, the better my athletes became. And what I would also warn young coaches or people trying to develop a system is you can't try it 
for a day, a week, even two weeks. You have to really kind of go through a season, see how it works out. Going back to teaching, it's like teaching a unit. You can't like one week into your unit be like, I'm changing everything. No, you got to teach that unit and then kind of reflect back and go, how can I make this better next time? You know? Right. Um, Yeah. How many teachers taught by PowerPoint only in the early 2000s? And and that was the greatest thing that we thought we had as educators at one point was PowerPoint. And then YouTube. And then we thought that was the greatest. And we're always, there's always something that's changing. There's always something developing. There's always something that is going to be uh, a variable in your educational and your coaching life. And so it's how you handle those variables and whether you, what variables you choose to make the independent and the dependent, you know, which right. ones are you going to, this is the dependent variable. It stays the same no matter what. However, I'm going to change this. We're going to do right. this for three weeks, six weeks, uh, 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 three months, whatever. And you go from there. We we taught we teach the plant differently now than we did uh, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just based off of we we watched a lot of video. We watched a lot of video of pros. We watched a lot of video of elites. We talked to other coaches, and we thought to ourselves, "Let's reread Beginner to Book God." We kind of had like a little revelation, mm-hmm. an aha moment. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I and and kind of going back to your analogy of like in the classroom, you know, whether it's PowerPoint, YouTube, whatever the new thing is, what I think is as you go through that st- stage of being, you know, just a cook and following recipes and now you start to go into becoming a sous chef, what what I f- find is amazing, then you start to blend all those things together. You know, it's like you don't just get rid of the PowerPoint. There's still going to be some valuable PowerPoints that you can use. There's, and there's going to be a moment to bring in a YouTube video, just like as you're coaching, you know, it's like maybe that, that drill you did 10 years ago. Yeah. Maybe you don't do it all the time, but there's still going to be those moments where you're like, aha, okay. With, with, with Johnny, we need to implement this drill that we don't normally do because he's one of these cases, you know? Absolutely. You find, you find, it's like you're the doctor. And then all of a sudden you've got all these, you've got all these illnesses in the pole vault that are coming out like late plant steps are off under out. Kid goes to the right, kid goes to the left, pole bend too low. All right, well, here are the different things we've tried with these kids to fix these uh, these issues. And, you, you know, sometimes one thing works. Sometimes it takes seven things to work. Yeah. Look, and I, I mean, I, I feel like we, we got to talk about one of the topics that we planned on talking about. I, I feel like we could go another <laughs> hour on this. Uh, but I, I just, again, I think it's so important. Uh, if you're a coach, you've got to start delving into, like, some education knowledge, you know, you are, you are an educator. Like I, I always laugh because people will ask me every once in a while, they're like, Hey, Bronco, would you ever go back into teaching? Cause I started out as an English teacher and I go, well, I never stopped teaching. I just teach pole vault now instead of English, you know, but it, it's, right. it's the same thing. You, you have to educate someone in this skill, you know, and if you don't understand that, if you, you know, pole vault is a lot more complicated than upper grip back a half. I know everybody loves to joke about that. They're like, oh, that's easy. You just go up and grip back a half. That's all they did. And it's like, no, you had to teach someone how to how to do this skill and everything else that we discussed, you know, making them patient, discipline, dealing with failure. You know, these are all things that you have to set up a certain procedure, process, and systems to get get an athlete from point A to point B. You know, and I think that's it. it we try to oversimplify our events sometimes and we don't understand how much there really is going on, you know? Yeah. Um, 
go now kind of like to talk about this other topic, you know, states are starting to reopen. You're in Georgia. You, you guys are, have reopened, which we're I, all over the news now. Hey, you want to yeah. talk about we're a, Georgia's crushing it when it comes to being in the news, right? Yeah. Now. <laughs> well, I, I'd love to ask too, cause I, I think reopening means so many different things in so many different states and countries. Uh, when they say Georgia reopened, walk us through that. And then maybe can you tell us what you guys plan to do uh, starting practices again? Cause I know even myself as a coach, I've been thinking about this for weeks now, you know, and how I can reopen if I should reopen, you know, and all those types of things. What, what, what's going on in Georgia? All right. So uh, the governor has issued that. Uh, so state parks have been open the entire time. Everything's been social distancing. Takeout restaurants have pretty much been open the entire time. Some are doing better than others. That's obvious. So gyms are starting to reopen. Uh, tattoo parlors for reasons unknown to me, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. Movie theaters to an extent. Malls. I mean, things are things are going back to normal ish. Mm-hmm. You know, and I walk down the street. I live off of a main street in uh, in Buckhead, which mm-hmm. is just outside of Atlanta. And um, people are going to Orange Theory classes again. People okay. are going and sitting at the bar at the the taco places again. Okay. And uh, Target, you know, like it, it, things are opening up. Things are out there. Now, wearing a mask, hand sanitizer. I can't go to the grocery store. Uh, if I go to If I go to a Trader Joe's, they have to spray hand sanitizer on my hands, and then you know, like they only let so many people in the grocery store. But if I, but when I go to the wing place over here, they take my temperature, and then they actually put a timer on just to see how long people have been in the environment. I mean, okay. it's all different. Yeah. So in terms of the way we're approaching the opening, is um, it, it's cautious and considerate. Mm-hmm. So there's no we have to understand that we have we have just as much control over its spread as everyone else in the state because it's all based off of the choices you're going to make Mm -hmm. so we have to think about the following you know our kids gonna have to wear masks when they come to practice not while they're jumping i mean it'd be kind of hard to run down the runway breathing in the mask you need to hyperventilate you pass out at your third left yeah so Wearing a mask is probably not going to be something that's done. Uh, kids are going to bring their own chairs to sit on, and they have to use their own chairs for everything. So your bag doesn't sit on the bench anymore. Um, we'll set up a bunch of tents around the, the area where you can, you know, if it's sunny and whatnot. But your bag's got to be in your, – your stuff has to be in your bag and it has to be in your chair. Mm-hmm. Parents, you know, we, parents used to sit along the track and just watch – they got to be outside the gate now. The less people we have at practice, the better. Mm-hmm. We're also doing boys-only, girls-only practices. We have three pits, two going one direction. We're on an a- uh, we're on the apron of a track. Okay. Our sand pit is at the complete opposite end of the track. It's also on the apron, and so the apron with the three pits, our elite pit and our ding dong pit, as I used to say, or as I like to call it, they go in the same direction. They're about. 10 feet apart at most runway wise. Um, and then our, our goofball pit second pit goes the other direction mm-hmm. on the same apron. So by having boys only girls only practices with our club kids of about 70 kids, we did the math. We looked at their PRs and where they fall. We looked at what kids would be on what pits. Mm-hmm. We also then thought about what poles would even be shared too yeah. between the kids, boys and girls. Uh, we got girls on 14 160s. 
Right. I mean, we got a lot of boys on a 14-160. Right. But if we yeah. don't have them at practice together, it's, they separate. They're using the different equipment. They're the same right. equipment but different days. Right. So we're going to operate girls only on one day, boys only on the other day. Practice sessions are two hours long. And we're emphasizing, you come in, you get to work, and you go. You don't need yeah. to socialize and goof off while you're at practice. If right. you kids want to go out and do whatever the second you leave the gate, that's fine. But when you are inside that gate, we're an outdoor practice facility. Mm-hmm. When you come in that gate, you're in work mode and get to work and let's go because mm-hmm. we're out here for you, but you're also out here because you want to get better. Right. So, and we're, we're also saying to the kids, don't go in the shit and take out seven poles at the same time. Right. You know, you don't need to take out the 12-foot pole, the 14-foot pole, and then your three 15-foot poles. Right. You, you don't know. You don't know what you're going to take. So the less you touch in there, the better. Right. Get what you're going to use right now. Mm-hmm. And then use it and then ask if you can move up or if you can move to the next thing. Right. So that way we limit the amount of kids just touching everything. Yeah. Um, we're also, um, also going to ensure that the parents know that they are assuming responsibility when they send their kids to practice that mm-hmm. they are, they are understanding that they are assuming the risk liability when they come to practice of possibly exposing their kids. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, insurance wise, we can't really attest to covering that. We have a private insurance company and we also use USA track and field insurance. Right. So USA, you know, through the club yeah. system. And so we're looking at that. We're looking at it through that extent. But we're also making sure that the parents understand, you know, your, you and your family have to make the decision you believe is best for you. Yeah. We are not forcing you to come out. If you right. don't feel safe to come out, then contact us. We'll discuss it. But we aren't a club system that can operate with, private lessons with groups of five or less on all these different days at all these different times. It just doesn't make up because we're also renters. We rent a facility. Right. And so we're renting an outdoor track. So we have to follow by what our renters say is okay as well. And they're a school and they are following educational guidelines. So there's a lot more variables. I I think parents and, and, um, athletes, um, are unfortunately neglecting to understand that they only see that we are either sending them information that says we are having practice and this is the guidelines or we're not having, we're not open yet and here are the guidelines for right now. They don't see that we get emails from USA track and field every other day. Right. That we're getting emails from our, the place we're renting from once a week and that we are sending emails to our insurance company and that we're also in contact with um, USA track and field officials and we're checking the websites to see what's canceled and what's not. Cause that makes us readjust our calendar. You know, we are, our big thing is we're training for new balance outdoors right now. However, we are ent- as coaches. I-, I don't like to say this, but I have to be realistic. Yeah. We're planning on not going until the last second we know it's happening. So we're also training our athletes to understand we may not be going to New Balance. We may have an inter-squad meet that weekend. Yeah. So we're going to do what we feel is best in our training to get ready for New Balance. But the fallback is an inter-squad meet. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've even, uh, last night I started a discussion with, with one club coach where uh, he was talking about doing like virtual club meets, you know, like do a Zoom, you know, video, yeah. like watch each other jump and, you know, take jumps. And, you know, I think people are going to have to start getting a little bit creative during this time period. Um, I know that even for someone like me, where it's an indoor club, right, I also rent my space. So, you know, I've talked to several different people, several, several different situations, obviously things that you could do is like limit numbers. Um, you know, now that kids are not in school, you could probably have more practice times, right? So maybe start practice even as early as 8am run until 8pm. You know, there, there's things that people can do. I, I think some of the things that people uh, maybe are concerned with one, I know for me as a club owner is like, can I get enough disinfectant spray, especially being an indoor facility, you know, because yeah. I'm going to have to spray spray down the poles. I'm going to have to spray down the mats. I was even thinking about one thing that I could do is, you know, having half hour uh, buffers between sessions. So that way I yeah. have half an hour to maybe do some cleanup. And because I have two pits, uh, I know, and look for everybody who's listening, who maybe is in this situation, if you have two pits, one thing that's nice is, you maybe can just spray down the mats you're using and then use the other set of mats for the next practice. That way you give time for that mat to dry off, you know? Um, And then then that actually entertains the possibilities of like, okay, you're going to just, this is, we're all hypothetical in all of this. All right. So we're going to clean the mat and we're going to clean the poles. All right. Well, the grips are now going to get messed up. That's more athletic tape and chalk you need. Um, The pads might not be, the, the material isn't necessarily designed for alcohol spray and disinfectant spray to be on it X amount. So right. then the pads themselves deteriorate. Yeah. Pole vault equipment isn't cheap. So no, I don't have, we don't have a pole vault fairy who's going to come in and be like, Oh, we fixed the top pad for you. You're all, you know, like, it's just, you've got to, we, we, um, we need to understand that um, this is teaching us that we have to kind of also go outside of our comfort zone a little bit. But also we have to take into consideration that what do you really want out of it? And are, are we going to, how long are we going to live in some fear and some discomfort? And, um, you know, we're going to, everyone's going to start back and right. they're going to start back uncomfortable. Yeah. That's, that's going to be the first new normal well, is that we're all going to go back uncomfortable, well, when- excited, but uncomfortable for a minute. Well, one of the things that I I think about too, Matt, is, you know, like you said, people are going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be different. I think as a pole vault club owner, I'm trying to make people as comfortable as possible. You know, Uh, one of the things that I'm going to plan on doing too is you take people's temperature before they walk into the building. Obviously, if the temperature is too high, they can't practice that day. You know, we ask, obviously, if anyone is exhibiting symptoms to not come to practice, you know. That, that sort of thing. Also, make sure the bathroom is clean. People should wash their hands before and after using the poles. You know, right. these are things that people themselves have to be more vigilant. We'll have, you know, hand sanitizer available, but people have to be vigilant on their own. Uh, the other thing that I think also, which I don't like during this time period is some people are getting super judgmental. I think we all have to make choices. We often make choices that we're happy with. But like I, I saw someone tweet out, they were like, oh my God, I can't believe people are willing to risk their lives for going to the gym. And you know what I asked those people? Cool. Well, when the restaurants and bars open up in your town, 
Are you going to risk your life to go to the bar? Because I'm sure some of those people are, you know, and it's like, and here's the thing. I don't judge, you know, everybody takes on risk every single day of their life. I mean, I listen to Joe Rogan podcast and he brings this up. It's like, you could die in a car accident, but you drive your car, you know? And so it's like, we all make choices for the things that we want. I mean, how many people go, go hiking right now, you know, and they may or may not be wearing a mask going hiking. Now, me personally, prior to coronavirus, I'm not a big hiking guy. I don't like the outdoors all that much. But to me, it's like, if that's, that makes you feel good and you want to go do it, you should go do it. That's your choice, you know? And if you want to come to pole vault practice, come to pole vault practice. Just obviously take precautions. I mean, I'm sure you'll agree with this, but, you know, when you go to the grocery store, first of all, I've never seen going to the grocery store as an enjoyable experience. It's something you have to do, right? You have to, you have to pick up food. But it's like now during these times, it's even tougher. Sometimes you have to stand in a line. You have to wear a mask now. You know, then you have to take more precautions going in and leaving, you know, washing your hands. I've, I mean, there's like taking my clothes off, throw it into the washer and, and go take a shower. You know, these are precautions that we're going to take. And I think as time continues to go on, we're going to be making choices about things that, yeah, there might be a little bit of risk, but I really want to be able to do this. Because I don't think anybody wants to just sit in their house 24-7, you know? Right. Yeah, and, and I think, um, I mean, I would surely hope, and I, I, I firmly believe that we all, as coaches out there, whether you're in Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, Texas, Cal- wherever, Washington, yeah. New Jersey, New York, yeah. wherever, I do think that we as coaches – as clubs or whether we just give private instruction or whether we work at a high school and we're the volunteer coach, I, I firmly believe that we are all taking into consideration what is best for me, what is best for my athletes, what is the best situation so that everything can be safe. Right. I just think that we all, we're all in such different places geographically, politically, economically, socially, that we all have very different approaches, but with the same intentions. Mm-hmm. You may be a club in, and he'll know who I'm talking about. You may be a, a club in the middle of Rock Hill, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. His, his, his clientele numbers are not going to be the same as those of Los Angeles. Right. So the proximity, the different factors. You may be in Florida and have a pole vault set up in your own compound in your own house, or you may have a barn in Texas, or you may have your own setup outside in the swamp area. Like we all have such different setups and we all pull from different numbers and whether it's urban rural, whether it's, uh, whether it's more of an inclusive or exclusivity type of system. Mm-hmm. we all just need to really and I, and I do think we're judging each other and it's unfortunate because I do think we all need to I really do think we need to put the anxiety and the anger and the frustration aside because we're all uncomfortable and disappointed right now athletes coaches parents kids every single person is disappointed yeah hands down we're all upset we're all frustrated we're all ready for things to be different we're all waiting for things to be different. We all want things to be different. But we don't have control over everything. And we just right. have to make the best with what we're being given. 
And we have to make the decisions we feel are the most appropriate for ourselves. And if, and if you don't feel comfortable coming to practice because there'll be 20 other kids spread out on three different pole vault pits, then, then we'll then have a conversation with the coach. Yeah. But no, no coaches out there, out there to, to get anyone or to cheat, to get the extra step ahead. I I just don't see that happening. And I just think that it's going to be a slow, steady process. Once the clubs start opening back up, we're going to start open up on June 3rd Mm -hmm. and um, we're, it's before practice, we're going to get there to evaluate everything, every scenario. Uh, The coach and I are actually meeting today at three to talk about what we're going to do the first two weeks of practice. And then we're going to meet the second practice ends to write down what went well, what didn't. I think we're, I think what this is going to do, I think this whole pandemic and this crisis is going to do for us as club coaches and as high school coaches and athletes and parents is it's going to make us think about um, where the value is and what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and it's going to make us think about the decisions we make on a slightly different scale in terms of, um, making more decisions with purpose rather than simply going about our ways to just go about our ways. Mm -hmm. No, I listen, I, I think people are going to be way more conscious of the decisions they make as, as athletes, as coaches, as business owners. Uh, I know even for me, look, I'll, I'll be honest. There have been definitely times where I'm like, okay, what do I do if I cannot reopen? What if this is not feasible? Because some of the things that I think about even as a, as a business owner is, you know, I mean, unemployment is through the roof. You know, how many people are going to be able to afford pole vault lessons, you know? And I, to- I totally understand that. <laughs> Look, I unfortunately have heard things from gym owners, this is not a uh, pole vault, where they're telling clients like, oh my God, if you don't, if you don't keep your membership, you know, we're going to have to go out of business dude, that person might be worried about putting food on the table. They shouldn't care about my business. You know, I don't think it's anybody's responsibility to think about my business. Right. I, of course, am very grateful. I mean, I have people that have reached out to me. They love the club. They want to see the doors open again, you know, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I don't want anyone to ever worry about my business. That's my responsibility, you know? Right. And the people that want you to be successful and that are going to want to be with you and that are going to stick by your side and help you out are the ones you really want in the club system with you. And those are the ones you're going to want to, that will be out there to bat for you. Sure. Yeah. What, what 100%. And, and I think, look, I think if, if you make it clear that you're trying to do the best for everyone, you know, that's going to shine through. People are going to see that they're going to appreciate that. You know, I don't think you ever have to pressure anybody into doing anything. Um, I, that's always just been my way as a coach. Like I, I don't want to have to try to convince you to come to my club. You either want to or you don't, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's going to be a difficult time. And I, th- I think people do need to think about what they're going to do, how they, you know, what is their plan of action for reopening? You know, are you going to check temperatures? You know, also, like you said, different situations, indoor versus outdoor. I think for my club, you know, reopening masks will be a part of it. We're going to have to wear masks, um, you know maybe as things evolve, like you said, every day, you know, after you finish a practice, after you finish the first week of practice, maybe it does become apparent that, okay, maybe 
the person jumping can take their mask off and then put it back on once they get back online. You know, there, there could be rules like that, but we have to start thinking about these things. Um, and obviously I, look, I, I tend to be positive. I think as, as things continue to move on and continue, I, I think things will continue to open up. You know, we, we have to be able to make choices. We have to be able to try to get back to some type of normalcy, you know? Yeah. And I, I think we also, um, and this is more of a challenge to all the coaches, mm-hmm. is um, I think we also should be transparent and we should be informative in our community of what our plans are, you know? I mean, I, I, I love following. I'm in charge of our social media stuff with the Instagram and Facebook. And one of my favorite things is following all these other clubs and coaches all over the country and seeing what they're doing mm. and seeing the success, seeing the goofiness, and yeah. then seeing the serious mode of it. And I, I, I really would challenge all of us as coaches to also put out there on our social media and put out there on our websites and, and, and be open and say, here are the guidelines we're using and this is what we're doing. And also welcome feedback, not criticism. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's open that up and then say, this is what our guidelines are going to be. And we've posted ours on our Instagram account, mm-hmm. so you can yeah. see it there. And, and I, I welcome any coach and any athlete to say, hey, you know, read this. What are your thoughts on X, Y, Z? So it's the more you know, the more you're informed, the better decision making you can make. And I think that that's what we are all as a community wanting to do is we want to better the community and the best way we can better ourselves and our clubs is by remembering that we're all in this together. And so I do challenge all the coaches and clubs to say, hey, here's what we're doing and we would love any feedback. So that way we can all kind of see, you know? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, kind of, and, and maybe we, we can go back to some other topics too, but I think that's so true in the pole vault community is that we sometimes almost, I, I feel like people are afraid to say what they're doing because they don't want criticism. You know, they're so worried that, Oh, if I, if I post how I'm reopening, you know, maybe someone will tell me I shouldn't reopen or that's not good enough. And even when we talk about technique, Oh, if I post this drill, someone's gonna be like, well, that's trash, you know? And the thing is, I think one, if you're a coach, you're supposed to be a leader, right? And as a leader, you don't worry about criticism. I mean, you listen, you might listen, you might say, okay, maybe that person has a point, you know, but I think as a leader, you can't be so, so torn apart by someone uh, criticizing you. You have to be open and say, Hey, listen, I do believe in this. This is what we're doing. You know, as far as reopening, this is what we're doing as far as technique or drills at our club. I believe in this. I should believe in this, whether or not Matt Barry comments and goes, Bronco, that's really terrible. You should do this instead. You know, it's like, I, if, if that's all it takes to make me cower, you know what I mean? It's like, what kind of a leader am I, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's important. Even going back to this situation, I think being a good leader as a coach through this situation of coronavirus is huge. If your athletes see you panicking, if your athletes hear you have anxiety or you're, you know, how will your athletes react? You know, I, I remember speaking to Mike Lorick. He had um, the, he has the number one guy in in, in high school right now. He, his boy, I think, jumped seventeen three or seventeen four at Reno. Yeah. Um, they're out in California. Uh, I forget the athlete's name, but anyway, point is, I, I remember talking to Mike, and he said, "Listen, like you know, we would have liked to go on to indoor nationals. 
We would have liked to have a chance to win the California state title. But he goes, you know, he, I know the kid's first name is Scott. He goes, I spoke to Scott and I said, hey, we're lucky that we got that Reno in and that you got that mark. You know, you, you could have had a bad day at Reno. So yeah. there is something to be, feel fortunate about. And I feel like, you know, as leaders, we have to constantly be in that mode. And, and, and I think going back to what you say, hey, yes, we should be posting what we're doing when we, when we decide on how we're reopening. We should be posting, and I'll go even further, we should be posting our techniques, our drills, our systems, our progressions, because it helps the whole, the whole sport grow. Because yeah. the more information out there, like we brought up, you know, beginner to book good before. I can't imagine what my career as a coach would be like today if that book never, that was never written. Yeah, mine would have been short. <laughs> <laughs> my, my career, my career as a coach would have been, it would have, we wouldn't be having this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah I, I don't know. Like you said, I, I mean, I think you bring up a good point. Would I even be uh, coaching right now? Cause that, that book was so, so influential. So the more that people share and, Listen, I know Alan got a lot of criticism when he wrote that book. But the thing is, for every criticism, he also had people that loved him. And I think sometimes what's unfortunate is people who are real happy and love what you're doing, they're not always going to comment. It tends to be the haters that comment. You just have to know as a leader that that's, that's what's going to happen. You just don't worry about it, you know? Yeah. I, I, um, I do think this – I think this is uh, – it speaks to that. One of my favorite things in the pole vault community is that all of these kids, all these athletes follow each other on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. And, um, and they all are supportive of each other when they see so-and-so does a PR or if so-and-so, you know, attempts a PR or if they break a barrier or whatnot. And um, I do hope that we get to a point again soon where we're posting stuff on our social media again. Mm -hmm. And we are all, whether you're in Texas, California, Idaho, New Jersey, New York, South Carolina, Florida, that we're all back on it going, it's so nice to see you guys are back open again. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Great jump. Glad to see smiling faces. Stay safe. I mean, those things. Yeah. I, yeah. I hope that I, I hope that we get back to everything opening up back again, however time is, however long it takes. Mm-hmm. But that's what I want to see uh, us as leaders and coaches and athletes challenge ourselves with is to be how good, how good can you be? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, that kind of brings up the point of promotion, right? We need to promote each other. I think sometimes we get, so, it's funny as a sport. Sometimes we don't show that competitive side. We like to promote our sport by being like, Oh, we're all just jumping against the bar, but yet we get so competitive as coaches and clubs, you know, but it's like, we actually have to promote each other more. I love competition at competitions, but I think we need to promote each other. And that, that's how we grow. Right. Um, a little bit of shifting gears. I know uh, a while back, this might've been like a year and a half or something like that. I remember getting a DM from you guys about something that I posted technique wise um, I, I'd love to get your thoughts a little bit about technique on the bottom arm. How do you guys view the bottom arm? And, you know, maybe we talk about that a little bit. Okay. So, um, it was a drill you had posted where the kids are using the bottom arm. They're pulling down the pole to get further in the pit. Mm-hmm. I believe that was the nature of the drill, or at least again, it's not what you do. It's what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. We thought the athletes were trying to do. And so bottom arm action in the pole vault from a technical standpoint, from what we believe, your bottom arm initiates the pull through the turn mm-hmm. and it allows and it and enables the ability to push off at the top. 
So if you're not active with the bottom arm pulling through your face, pulling through the turn, mm-hmm. initiating the where you're going over the bar, if you don't use the bottom arm, that's a that's a crucial point of the of the pendulum that you're ignoring from a physics standpoint. Yeah. And uh, that shows up on the push arm push off drill. It shows up when you're jumping to your stomach because in order to turn to get to your stomach, you have to use your arm action to get elbow out of the pole, elbow yeah. inside the pole to pull. Yeah. land on the stomach. And so that's a, a crucial thing we think to the kids, but it also, it's a, it's a way we also try to say it, it over, it amplifies something else we're trying to get them to do too. Okay. So that they're, it, they think how active will my entire body be throughout the jump? Mm-hmm. I don't simply plant the pole, the pole bends and I wait for it to recoil and whatever happens, yeah. happens. It's, right. um, you, you have 100% control over the action of the pole Mm-hmm. The moment you start running down the runway with it mm-hmm. and what you put, what you do, what you physically do with your body controls the pole because the pole doesn't, the pole is going to react the same way you do something as someone else does something. If it's the same exact motions. Right. Yeah. So no, it's, I, I, it's dependent versus independent variable. Yeah. I, I love it. And I mean, it's funny. I remember listening to a jujitsu coach, John Donaher, and he, he had this comment. He goes, you know, why would you ignore 50% of the body? And it's, it's something to do jujitsu, but I, I think it's so important in the pole vault like that to see the whole body and what should the whole body be doing throughout the entire vault. And I think sometimes people ignore things like going back to like Alan Launder's book, beginner to book guy. I always felt like that was something where he didn't talk about the, the arms enough you know, he talked about the, 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 the swing and the hips and it was like, what am I, what am I supposed to be doing with my hands? Right. You know? What's the arm action involved in the pole vault? And I think some of us see different. I, I think we all, again, it's not what you do. It's what you're trying to do. So right. it's the same thing. What are you trying to teach? How are you trying to teach your body positioning? Some, uh, some coaches emphasize more of, you know, you, your, your top hand does a certain point of the drill, getting your top hand to your hip. Mm-hmm. Or some coaches say you row. So, I mean, the, the technicality and the terms are so different. Yeah. And, they are, and they're explained however many different ways there are coaches. But again, it's, it's what are you trying to teach the athlete to do and if they are doing that or not. And then how do you teach them to do that? Yeah. Uh, one of the things we do is uh, we stand on the side of the pit. We have the pole in the box. We're standing on the front pad. And we simply – we simply push the pole forward with our hands. Uh, we're holding low, and we just land on our butt in the pit. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then we go, okay, now I didn't use my left hand to do this action at all. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to do the same thing. My top arm is straight. My bottom arm is going to pull. And then what you see is at first you landed here, and then the second time when you use your bottom arm, you landed here, deeper in the pit. Right. You don't want the pole vaulter to go up and then simply drop off. Right. It's a parabola. Yeah. And so the left arm action enables the parabola for the body to continue to move. Right. You know, uh, one of our, our kids jump with the standards deep mm-hmm. almost routinely at 32. Mm-hmm. Our kids, if the standards are at 18, there are some issues going on and there's yeah. something that's going on there. Right. And part of it is that we teach the kids to pole vault long. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that, you know, it's funny because I feel like that, that term pull just the word alone causes a lot of negative feedback for, for, for a lot of people in the pole vault community. And Absolutely. my thing is 
if you don't recognize as a coach that on every single vault, there is some aspect of push, brace, and pull, every single jump, you're just not, you're not watching it completely and you're, you're being dishonest, you know, because I, I even think about situations like, look, I'm sorry, if you're running down, you're really super under and you get ripped off the ground. You have, you literally have to brace. Otherwise you're just going to wash through the jump. Like you're, you're just going to hips go past the pole. So it's like, you have to, as an athlete, be prepared to do all three of those things. And if you don't teach it in some sort of way, like, like, I think that's a, such a simple explanation of like that swing to a sit drill. It's like, okay, do it without using your bottom arm at all. You're going to land at a certain point. You do it with the bottom arm, boom, you go deeper. You can't tell me now. It's like, you shouldn't ever do that at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think when you track the numbers like grip and push off and so on and so forth. And, and look, I, I think once you start implementing it, one thing that I always tell people, it's not just how far your body goes. If you, if you're active with that bottom arm and you pull, you're going to get the pull to move better too. You know, I I don't think people realize how much more grip you'll get. Right. I mean, you want to move the pole. Yeah. You want to move the pole so that it takes you into the pit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really interesting thing. I just, I'm still, I'm always amazed, you know, and again, I think there's a lot of reasons for this, but I think sometimes it's an oversimplification of the vault. You know, someone sees you know, a vaulter gripping 16 plus, you know, who's whatever, six, four, and they jump and they see that perfect bottom arm. And they're like, Oh my God, how do I get Sally? Who's five foot tall, you know, (laughs) gripping 10 to have that perfect bottom arm. And it's like, well, is that really important right now? Like going back to what we said earlier, okay, we have beginner intermediate advanced. Well, how important is that aspect to a beginner versus being able to actively move the pole, actively swing, you know, once that five foot tall Sally maybe becomes a five, eight senior, you know what I mean? In high school, the bottom arm will be there. You know, that that's, or if the repetitions have showed up where she is worked on bracing, worked on bracing. And then finally it clicks. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's clicked. It happened. It's right. like we, uh, we specifically say, we're not trying to teach you to bend the pole. How many right. times has someone bent the pole and you've seen the ambulance? How many times have you seen the pole bend they go up and now they land, you know, now they land in the box, whatever. The world record for no one bending the pole is 15, nine and three quarters of an inch. Right. I know plenty of high schoolers and kid, I know plenty of kids who would love to jump 15, nine and three quarters of an inch. Right. That was done with the steel pole. That yeah. was done in 19, I think it was 54. Yeah. So I'm not saying we should teach that technical model, but I'm saying that you don't have to bend right. the pole. It helps. Right. right. Again, right. not what you're doing. What are you trying to do? Right. And I think when you try to uh, incorporate things too early in development, right? Like, so let's say I'm trying to get the kid to bend the pole too early sometimes. And again, I think for me watching Tim Riley's video, he showed a, a, a great way where he got kids to bend the pole in the first day, but teaching the whole jump. But sometimes you see other people try to do that and they're not teaching the actual jump and they're just getting a kid to bend a pole. You'll see, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this. It's like a 150 pound boy on a 1330 and they're gripping 12, jumping 10, six. And to me, I'm just like, Oh my God, like what, what is going on? You know? So yeah, I, I just, and again, I like to look at the extremes cause I think that's where you can kind of learn 
where you need to go with your process and procedure w- with things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, I mean, look, it's, if this was easy, mm-hmm. everyone would jump the world record all the time. And we would, I mean, you know, everyone would be able to bend the pole safely and land in the pit and everyone yeah. would be technically fine. It's not going to happen. Right. There, uh, Sandy Morris has a video or a picture out there on her social media of what her first bar clearance looked like at a meet. Right. It was like, oh, you know, Sam Kendricks too, going over backwards at like five, six or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, no one's arguing with those guys now. I saw, right. You know? <laughs> but I, and, I, and I think that, that speaks to what you said before. It's like, we always see the, the, the positives, the wins, you know, the, the big bars. But it's like, everybody's got to take their lumps in the beginning. Nobody comes to their first pole vault practice and boom, just bombs a big jump. Like, that's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, my, my favorite kind of technical joke now to ask people is, all right, so now that we see Mondo on a 17-something foot pole, I think he's on a 17-4, mm-hmm. and he's sliding the pole in. He plants with his bottom hand, mm-hmm. and he slides the pole in the last 8 to 10 inches on the runway into the box. Yeah. All right. Are we going to – our coach – I'm not saying we, but are, are yeah. people going to start to try now to teach that because he does it? Are we going to try to emulate that because he does it? And, but, you know, without knowing the true variable, why does he do it? Is that something his father taught him to do? Is it something he just does? Is he, does he have to do it because he's holding it 17 feet and you can't physically hold the pole, however many steps to go moving the left? Like you see that one second split video, you see that split second video, tip hits six to eight inches, 10 inches from the box slides into the box he jumps off the ground that's what we see what is he trying to do yeah no i i listen i to, i totally agree with you <laughs> that's like um, the enigma open-ended technical yeah. thing right now um I, i'm sure we could keep talking but i know you said you have you have something to do um if somebody wants to follow you guys on instagram or any other type of social media uh how do they follow you guys and um you know, would you be open to people reaching out if they have questions? Absolutely. We're an open book at pole vault Atlanta, just pole vault Atlanta on Instagram. Uh, we don't have Twitter, but everything I put on the Instagram goes to the Twitter and you okay. would be following me on Twitter, which is Mr. Barry six, two, eight. And then, uh, we're on Facebook and we have a, a website pvatl.com. We have a, an instructional video that we did a few years ago. It needs a little bit of updating. That's on YouTube, PVATL instructional video. It's mainly for our beginners. Um, and we're an open book. When we, well, The first thing we say to kids and coaches when they show up at practice is the kids are learning how to pole vault. If you want to follow and listen, you can. Coaches, we don't charge coaches to come to yeah. – we don't charge coaches anything. Yeah. We're an open book. Awesome. And uh, that's just how we feel about it, and that's all. But I – can't tell you how much I appreciate the time today and reaching out. It means a lot. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Yeah, I, I, I feel honored to have you on the podcast. I, th- I think there was a lot of great information for people. I, I knew this would be a great episode. Um, for everybody that's, that's listening or watching, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or our uh, iTunes podcast. Uh, if you leave a comment or review, that would be awesome. Uh, you can email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com if you have any comments or questions. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at The Real Apex Vaulting and Apex Vaulting on Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, and TikTok. And thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks.